Matthew chapter 18 this morning, Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 10. We're continuing this series of studies this morning. We began uh, just a couple of weeks ago. It's a summer series uh, looking at what the Bible teaches, what the Bible tells us about the ministry, the reality, and the activity of angels and demons. And if you remember so far in our study, we have looked at what the Bible has to say about the presence of angels, and we saw there uh, that angels do exist. They are real. They are, as the writer of Hebrews says, ministering spirits that have been sent from a loving God to minister in our lives, those of us who know and fear God. Now, I shared with you last time or two times ago when we looked at, again, the uh, presence of angels, I I told you that there are those who do not believe that. There are those who deny, really, the existence, the ministry of angels. There are those who believe that that either angels are just a figment of the imagination, a fairy tale conjured up in the Middle Ages in order to comfort the feeble-minded or those uh, who were afraid. Or on the other hand, you have those who would say, no, there's just no need for them anymore. Once the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, cost, there's no longer a need for angels to be working and active in ministry uh, in the lives of the children of God. But I love what Lewis Burkhoff wrote in his little systematic theology, and he said this, no one who bows before the authority of the Word of God can doubt the existence of angels. In other words, we can disagree on their roles and responsibilities, and we can even debate the number of them uh, who were booted out of heaven and how many of them uh, remain faithful to God. We can even discuss uh, what they look like or how they operate in the life of a believer. But if you believe the Bible, you have to believe in angels. Angels are real. They do exist. And then last week we looked at the personality of angels. Without going through, going over all of that uh, again this morning, let me just remind you what the Bible has to say about angels. The Bible tells us that angels are powerful created beings with individual personalities. They are spiritual beings who can from time to time take on human form or show up in, br- in brilliant, blazing, blinding light. They are lower than Jesus and behold the face of God. They understand their limitations and are divided into at least four distinct different definite categories. There is the archangel, his name is Michael. There are messenger angels like Gabriel. There are the seraphim, there are the cherubim. And so this morning as we continue again to move the ball a little bit further down the the field, we're going to be looking at and learning what the Bible teaches about the protection of angels. If you're there in Matthew chapter 18, would you say, "Uh uh-huh? All right, there's still three of y'all trying to find your place. Let me give you a little bit more time. So there was a lady who had a heart attack, and she died. She had one of those near-death experiences. And uh, when she had this near-death experience, she woke up, and the first she saw an angel, and she said, is this my time? Is, is this when I'm supposed to die? And the angel said, no, 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 no. There's been a mistake. You've still got 30 to 40 more years. And so, boom, she's wake back up, whether they shocked her or whatever they do there in the hospital, they paddled her or whatever. She woke back up, and she remembered what the angel had said, 30 to 40 more years. And so she decided to say, hey, since I'm already in the hospital, maybe I should just go ahead and have what the women used to call some work done. So she had a facelift, a tummy tuck, some liposuction. She got her hair color changed. She even changed the color of her eyes with some contacts. She, after she got better, she was walking out of the hospital, and an ambulance came rushing in, ran over her, and killed her. She woke up in, in heaven. She looked at that angel, and she said, what gives? You said I had 30 to 40 more years. The angel said, oh, listen, it's on me. My bad, my bad. 
I didn't recognize you. I know that's a really bad joke and it's really even worse theology if you really are upset about this this morning if you'll just send a letter to Josh Lancaster 3917 he'll take care of all of that for you this morning but we're looking at this morning what the Bible has to say about your personal what some people would call your guardian angel let me make this statement at the beginning of this morning's sermon I believe that the Bible teaches that angels are personal agents sent by God to watch over and protect his children. That's what I think the Bible teaches. I believe that there are those angels that God gives to us to watch over us as his children. Now again, there are those who do not believe that. There are Bible students and Bible scholars who deny that. They would disagree with that statement. They would make fun of and mock me and laugh at me for making even saying anything like that from this pulpit this morning. But again, as I have looked into this book, as I have read this book, and as I have researched for this particular series of studies, I am convinced, I have a conviction, I have come to the conclusion that the Bible teaches beyond the shadow of a doubt that there are what we would refer to as guardian angels. Matter of fact, in my humble but accurate opinion, if you believe this book and if, if you believe that the Bible is the inerrant, the inspired, the infallible Word of God, you cannot help but believe in the existence of a personal or a guardian angel. Now, again, there are lots of many passages uh, that we could look at this morning but, but I, that, 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 that teach us tremendous truth. Let me share with you one right here off the bat that I believe is one of the best as we begin our study together today. Matthew chapter 18, if you... Uh, the three of y'all are, have y'all finally got there? All right, uh-huh, thank you. Matthew chapter 18, so let me set the stage for you. Jesus is talking about the, king, the kingdom of heaven, and he's talking about here the kind of faith that it takes in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus being the master teacher preacher that he is, he, he understands that sometimes the best way to teach a, a lesson is through what we used to call an object lesson. And so he reaches over and he grabs a little child and he sets that child in the midst of those disciples. And he says there in verse number three, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, basically what you have here is Jesus reversing what so many are teaching and saying today. There are a lot of people today who would say, no, children need to become like adults. Not that adults need to become like children and have childlike faith, but children need to become like adults. They need to have adult thinking and adult theology. They need to have an adult perspective, an adult understanding of the Bible in order to be saved. In other words, they've got to understand theology and, I mean, the hypostatic union and, and the proto-euangelion in order to be saved. Hey, look right here. Eh, wrong. Children do not need to become like adults. Adults need to become like little children and have childlike faith if we want to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus is saying there. And then he makes it down. In that context, here's what he says in verse number 10. He says, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, one of these little children, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Did, did y'all notice what Jesus said there? Jesus said that in heaven, there, it's possessive, I checked it, their angels 
always see the face of God who is in heaven. That's why I believe that verse very clearly teaches that at the moment of physical birth, God assigns a personal angel to every single person. I have a personal angel. You have a personal angel. All around this building, this building today, it, there are the angels of God who are hovering in this place today. And so what I want to do this morning real quickly is just share with you in a very simple, short uh, sermon. And again, this is if you, if you guys will just listen like the West Campus did. This is going to be a simple, short sermon. Now, if you don't listen quickly, we're going to be here till like 1 o'clock. And the Methodists are going to beat us down to the cafeteria. Do you understand that? And so it's a short, simple message. But here's what I think the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that our guardian angels, our protective, our personal angels, that they minister in basically three different distinct areas of our lives. First of all, I want you to see how angels minister to the Christian in the area of deliverance. And again, lots of places, lots of passages that we could turn to this morning. Let me just point out a few of the better known passages and stories that teach us this tremendous truth. Daniel chapter 6, you have the story of Daniel in the lion's den. You remember Daniel did what the king had told him not to do. For that, he was thrown into the lion's den. The lions were supposed to devour him and eat him up. But when he got in there, the lions got locked jaw, uh, and all he had was a great big old furry mane in order to be a pillow for that prophet uh, that night. Then the king shows up the next morning, and listen to what Daniel says in verse 62, verse, chapter 6, verse 22. He said, My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I've done no wrong before you. And so Daniel understood, and Daniel believed that it was God through the ministry of angels who delivered him from the mouths of those lions. So that's the Old Testament. But what about in the New Testament? I had a guy tell me the other day, he said, Pastor, I got a new Bible, and I can't find the New Testament. I said, it hasn't moved. <laughs> and so when you come to the New Testament, Acts chapter 12, you've got the story of Peter in prison. And the Bible says they're picking up in verse 5, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. In other words, they didn't want him to go anywhere. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself up and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, and watch this, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. The Bible clearly teaches that in the Old Testament, Daniel was protected in the lion's den by the angel of God. And here you have Peter released from prison by the angel of God. 
In modern times during the Korean conflict, you had a group of American soldiers who were stuck behind enemy lines. They were cold, um, freezing to death, starving to death, had nothing to eat. They were about to give up, and one soldier said, hey, I've got a New Testament right here. Hey, can, let's just spend some time reading the Bible and praying and then sing some songs before we surrender. And so when they got through, they heard some movement of the brush. They thought it was a, a North Korean soldier who had found them and was going to come in and shoot them up. But when they looked, it was a, a pig, a wild pig, came out of the brush, and, and one of the guys being a country boy from West Tennessee or Georgia, he threw up his rifle and was about to shoot that pig because he was thinking bacon, right? The other guy said, hey, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. You're going you're gonna to alert them to our presence. And so I didn't make up the story, so just pay. If it's, if it's a lie, it's somebody else's lie. The pig drops over dead. They cook him up. They eat him. A little while later, there's more rustling in the brush. This time, a South Korean soldier steps out, speaks perfect English, says, hey, follow me to safety. They follow him to safety. When they get out of danger, they look to find this soldier, and he's gone. And here's what the lieutenant said. The lieutenant wrote, surely we've been delivered by an angel of God. Let me ask you a question. You ever been in a tight spot? You ever been in a pinch? You ever been in a squeeze? And the angel of God got you through it? Let me show you a couple of things here this morning as I understand the teaching of Scripture that has to be true in your life. If God's angel are going to deliver you, we, we saw the first thing kind of last week. Number one, there must be the fear of the Lord. There must be the fear of the Lord. We talked about this again last Sunday morning, Psalm 34, verse 7. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. You say, Pastor, that's never happened to me. I don't know that an angel has ever protected me. Well, again, you might have said more than what you meant to say. Because maybe the issue is that you don't fear the Lord. You don't serve the Lord. You don't love the Lord. There's no fear of God in your life. You care more about what your friends think than you think than you do about what God thinks. You're more concerned what your coworkers and classmates think about you than you are about what God thinks about you. There's no fear of God in your life. Jack Taylor Years ago in one of his books, he, he was dealing with the subject of angels in general and guardian angels in particular. And he talked about, it's kind of funny, he talked about what it must be like to be an angel who's been assigned to a no-count Christian. And, and so because this is a no-count Christian who doesn't have any fear of the Lord, this angel doesn't have a ministry to do. He doesn't have, he's not busy every day taking care of this guy. And, and so he's just sitting up in heaven twiddling his thumbs and, and learning new songs on a harp. I don't know what he's doing, all right? And so finally he gets upset and he goes over to the Lord and says, Lord, will you give me a new Christian because the one I have now ain't worth nothing. Let me ask you a question. Do you keep your angel busy taking care of you ministering to you because you fear God and trust God see the first thing that you got to do in order to have the ministry of angels as a child of God number one there must be the fear of the Lord then number two you must learn to speak forth by the confession of your mouth the word of God look what comes out of your mouth is important what you say matters. Now, let me kind of get ahead of the, the curve right here for a second. I am the furthest thing that you will ever be around from a charismatic Pentecostal 
preacher. I don't even have the hair anymore. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so I do not believe in that name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, say it, see it kind of theology. I, I don't believe it at all. But I do believe that what we say matters. What comes out of our mouth matters. Let me kind of illustrate it for you this way. Let's suppose, and I'll, I'll use my name because for years I, I would pick on Bubba and finally we had a Bubba and he said, I'm tired of coming to church and you talk about me every Sunday. And so what did you say? Brad, all right? Brad. So Brad is kind of cranky. Well, that's a little bit close. <laughs> all right. So Brad is kind of cranky. He, he's kind of negative. <laughs> um, lately I have been, just, just being honest. And, and so I, I, Brad comes home from, from work one day, and he's hot and tired and cranky, and he's in a foul mood like he is most days. And he comes in, he plops down in his lazy boy, he grabs an RC, and he turns on the news. That just makes him even madder and crankier. And finally his wife comes in, and she's fussing at him like she always does, and she says, if you don't fix that heater, the whole house is going to burn down. And Brad is cranky and in a bad mood, and Brad pops off and says, let her burn. What's Brad's angel supposed to do? When that night or the next day, the heater catches on fire, catches the house on fire, what's the angel supposed to do? Because what did Brad say? Let her burn. Now again, that might be a little bit of an extreme illustration for you this morning, but I'm just trying to tell you that what you say matters. What comes out of your mouth matters. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, now watch this, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. God very carefully considers what we say with our mouth. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 that angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Here's why I think this kind of works out. We make a confession with our mouth. Jesus takes it to the Father, and then the Father assigns an angel to minister to that need. You may have never heard that about this before, but I'm just telling you, I think that this is exactly what the Bible teaches. Let me give you something to think about here this morning. This is free. Are you always making negative comments? Are you, are you one of those folks? Look right here. Are you one of those folks who's always down in the mouth, your, your uh, lips always dragging, and you're always, that ain't going to work, it ain't going to work, we tried it, it don't work. Anybody, don't, don't, raise, right, don't raise your hand. I don't have time for marriage counseling. <laughs> Just kind of give me a little bit of a, anybody married to somebody like that? Yeah. The glass is always half empty. There's always a black lighting in the silver cloud. There's always upset. Look, what you speak with your mouth comes out of your heart. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that from, with, we speak out what comes out of the heart. And so if you're one of those types of people who's always negative and always down and always... Look, let me ask you, what are you giving Jesus to take before the throne what are you giving the angels ministry to do in your life? And again, I'm not a name it, claim it, blab it, grab it kind of a guy at all. But I do believe that what comes out of our mouths matter. We used to say this right here in the country. If you want to see what a guy's made of, shake him up and see what comes out. What's down in the well comes out of the bucket. Years ago, my, my dad, 
had all these little phrases growing up, and uh, one of them drove me insane. See if your daddy ever said anything like this. So when I was trying to do something, my dad had this phrase. He, if I tried and tried, just couldn't do it. My dad had this phrase. He'd say, make it. Drive me nuts. Dad, I try. Make it. One day, <clears throat> I was washing the family station wagon. And this wasn't like the new ones that you all drive. This was an Oldsmobile station wagon. It was a land boat. Wood panel and everything. And my dad, we, we, we couldn't go to a car wash because that cost more money. So we had to pull around back in the backyard with a faucet on the side of the house, and we had to use a garden hose and wash that car. And we had a five-gallon bucket and Dawn dish soap and, a, <clears throat> and, a, and an old rag that my mama had, had thrown in a rag bag. And so, and so I had washed that. I did it like six or seven times. Dad, every time Dad would come around the corner, and he'd, he'd find one little spot and say, nope, you missed a spot, do the whole thing. We had a marsh in our backyard. I'd wash it like nine times. He came around the corner, and he, I said, Daddy, I've done it. He said, nope, I, Daddy, I can't do any better. Make it. My dad was interviewing with a, with a church. We were in Milan, Tennessee, and we were a, Dad had interviewed with the church over in Arkansas. And we really felt the Lord was going to move us to Arkansas. Praise God he didn't. Can I, can I get a man on that? And, um, <clears throat> but toward the end of the process, Dad saw some red flags, said, no, 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 bad, bad, danger, Will Robinson, danger, Will Robinson. We backed out of it. One of our friends got into the process. He didn't see the red flags. They called his pastor, had a great year, and then the second year, all hell broke loose. They had a knockdown, drag-out fight in the church. The deacon chairman would actually come up on the pulpit and take over the sermon from time to time. Make a long story short, had a big split. Like, that's how Baptists plant churches, by the way. And this guy who caused the trouble had gone to another church, Sid Samples, Curtis. Sid Samples was pastoring, interim pastor of this church. Dad had gone to do a revival there, and when he did, he saw this guy. He recognized him from the process. The, Dad talked when, after the service. He and his wife were there, went up and talked to him. Had a, the guy was still mad, still bitter, still upset. And then the guy said, I just wish God had killed me. And two weeks later, Dad gets called from Sid Samples. He said, you hear about so-and-so? Not an old guy by any stretch. He died. Heart just quit beating. You say, that is nuts. I'm just telling you that what comes out of your mouth matters. With the heart mamblies, with the mouth confession is made to salvation. And angels minister to the Christian in the area of deliverance. Number two, angels minister to the Christian in the area of, da uh, of danger. Uh, a, a great example of this is found over in Acts chapter 27. And so the Apostle Paul is in danger. The Bible says, beginning verse 21, But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood up in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve. God protected Paul from danger, and he did it through the ministry of an angel standing by Paul 
that night there on the Mediterranean Sea. And if that is true, that there are situations and circumstances that we've faced through the years, we wouldn't have made it through had God not ministered to us through the ministry of angels, right? Has that been true in your life? Can I see? Has that been true in your life? Have there been those times and troubles in your life that you would have never made it through if God hadn't stepped in and protected you through the ministry of angels? If that's true in your life, it's been true in my life, then there are those times where God, if God had not intervened, maybe again through the ministry of angels, we would have never gotten out. That fire that you were in, that wreck that you were in, that, that time when you were in the hospital and you had, I mean, you were flatlining, and all of a sudden God stepped in through the ministry of an angel and, and delivered you from danger let me give you two two stories this morning i got time oh i don't have time much just listen fast all right i'm going to one one my last church had a girl named gretchen was a college student at cedarville university in the late 90s had come home with one of her roommates to the upstate her mom was driving her back when they had like the the blizzard of 96 and so they're driving up through there have you ever been up in Ohio when they have one of those blizzards? I mean, you can't see anything. And so they're going slow, just trying to keep moving. And out of nowhere, a Jeep Cherokee comes out from nowhere, hits them in the back, spins them around, pins the door up against the concrete median. They're sitting there kind of dazed, and they hear this voice that says, Get out of the car. Get out of the car now. They don't move. They're just kind of shocked. They hear it again. Get out of the car. Get out of the car now. And so the mom says, Ladies, I think we need to get out of the car. So her and her, her, her mom and her friend get out of the car. She's still trying to get out. And she told me, Gretchen said, she was just able to push off of the car when a semi-tractor trailer hit the back of that car, bent it up, basically folded it in two. And sometimes God sends angels to protect us from danger. I've got a 16-year-old daughter at the house. I've got this little app on my phone called Life360. I track her wherever she goes. And when she drives fast, I, I, I text her and go, slow down. I told Kim that the other day. She said, why are you telling her that? She gets it honest. <laughs> and whenever she's driving somewhere early or late, I pray, God, would you just, will you put your angels around her car? My boys are playing football. It's hot. Had a young boy get sick the other day. God, would you protect my boys there on the field when they're running in cross country? Lord, would you protect them, not let somebody steal them or get too hot? At night, I pray, Lord, you put your angels around the corners of this house and protect our house. You say, you're just nuts. I'll try my way better than yours, right? And so God uses angels to minister in the area of deliverance, in the area of danger, and then lastly, as ministers in the area when the time comes for death. I believe that when it comes time for a Christian to die, we've got an angel there to minister to us. Real quickly, Luke chapter, six, Luke chapter 16. It's a real familiar story. The problem with these real familiar stories is we know the point so well. A lot of times we miss a lot of the tremendous truths that are there. And here in Luke chapter 16, you have what I believe is not a parable or a made-up story. I think it's a real event because you have a name, Lazarus. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And the Bible says in verse 19, there was a certain man, a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate. Desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died, watch this, and was carried by the angel to Abraham's bosom. 
The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes. Do you notice what the Bible says? That when it came time for Lazarus to die, he was carried by the presence of angels. He was carried by angels into the presence of God. And I believe that's what the Bible teaches, that when it comes time for this old body to die, when this old body dies, for the Christian, the spirit of the child of God, which is made in the image of God, is carried by the angels of God into the presence of God. There are a lot of Christians who still have a big fear of death. But if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you do not have to fear death. Because I believe the Bible teaches that when it comes time for you to die, you have angels there to escort you into the presence of God. And you don't have to worry about them being late. You say, Pastor, I'm not worried about them being late. I'm worried about them being early. You don't have to worry about that either. You don't have to worry about them not knowing the way. They know exactly how to minister to you at that time. A.A. A. Torbett was a missionary to China. At the, he was sitting there at the deathbed of a Chinese Christian. And right before that Chinese Christian died, he opened up his eyes, and here's what he said. I see Jesus, and I see the angels of God. And I see Margaret Gabe, A.A. Torbett's daughter, was named Margaret Gabe, and she had just died a couple of months earlier. And A.A. Torbett wrote this. He said, it's almost as if the presence and the glory of God filled that room. It's almost as if the angels of God came and carried that Chinese Christian out of that room. Billy Graham, when he was just a student, was sitting by the deathbed of one of his classmates, and he records the statement of that student right before he died. He said, I see Jesus and I hear the angels singing in heaven. My great-grandfather, Coy Beckham, died in 1975. His wife died a year later. And as the family is there in the ICU room as my great-grandmother was about to die, they said right before she died she opened up her eyes and she said I see Coy my great-grandfather and I see George they'd had a baby that died as an infant named George and then she said and I see the angels of God you say you you can't really believe this I mean, Pastor, you, you've got all those degrees. Surely you know better. Look right here. I believe with all of my heart that this Bible teaches that angels are real. Amen. And that God assigns His angels to watch over and take care of those who fear Him and serve Him. And they ministered to us in the area of deliverance. They ministered to us in the area of danger. And they ministered to us when it comes time for us to die. Amen. And if God loves us that much, that He would assign those angels to us, how much more must He love us to have sent Jesus to die for us? 2,000 years ago, God loved you so much that He sent His Son, His 
only Son, Jesus, into this world to die on a cross for you. So that if you sitting here this morning would simply, it's as simple as ABC. A, admit to God that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And C, confess Him as Savior and Lord. If you would do that, Jesus would come into your heart, forgive you of your sin, and perform the greatest miracle that anybody, better than being delivered from a fire, better than being delivered from a car wreck, better than being lifted up off of an operating... He would give you the greatest gift, work the greatest miracle in your life, the gift of eternal life. And you could experience that in your life before we stand to our feet and sing the first word.